0: Morning. The following podcast is not suitable for listeners of any age. The podcast may include poor guitar playing, dad jokes, and inducement of Fear acquisition syndrome. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you whenever you're listening. I'm your host, Carson, and welcome to the Pedals and Pickups podcast. In this podcast, we'll talk about your news in the music industry. We're faster than internet explorer, but who isn't? Famous pieces of gear that I'm too broke to buy. Famous artists I'll never be able to play like. And recording tips to get your music out to the masses. So, before we start the show, I do owe you guys a little bit of an apology. I'm sorry for being late on this episode. It's currently Wednesday, but uh, as I'm sure you can hear in my voice, when I came back from my work trip on uh, Friday night, I was miserable. I was extremely sick. And I was in uh, no shape to talk and hang out for 45 minutes and do this podcast. But I'm feeling a little better now, so uh, we're back in this seat. I'm happy to hang out with you guys again. I'm excited to get into another great week. We've got some news lined up for you, including more nonsense with Gibson and some product releases. We've got uh, the history and modern alternatives to the chorus effect and then we've got uh, t- Chasing the Tone from uh, Johnny Stevens from The Highly Suspect on the song Lydia. And our recording tip is going to be, where does your tone come from? Spooky, mystical, right? Mine comes from uh, blood sacrifices. But, you know, oh God, that was, that was dark. This is a family-friendly podcast for the most part. Jumping into our news this week. Dean has received a cease and desist order on productions of their V, Z, and Grand Sport models. It honestly feels like since this show's inception, uh, every other week we've been talking about Gibson doing some legal antics, and they are back at it again like clockwork. So a court injunction was uh, issued after some litigation between Gibson and Dean's parent company called Armadillo. They're based out of Florida. Uh, Dean can no longer produce anything with an ES, SG, Flying V, or Explorer body style, which the V and Z uh, fit that category. The lawsuit was filed on the basis of Gibson essentially claiming Dean was attempting to mislead customers into believing guitars shaped similarly to Gibson models were somehow affiliated with or endorsed by Gibson. I don't know about you, but anybody that's going to drop, you know, more than 200 bucks on a guitar probably probably would not confuse Dean guitars with uh Gibson guitars, you know, not to mention it's not like it's a new thing. The V and the Z models have been around since 1976. Like it's not I I don't <sighs> I feel like that argument is a straw man argument, but you know, it's Gibson. Uh, Gibson sees this as not only a win for them, but for guitar enthusiasts across the earth who support true American brands, as uh, as they put it. You ever you ever have somebody speak for you and, and you're looking at them while they're doing it and you're like, that's not what I think, that's not what I want, it's really not, you're misinterpreting it, but they just keep talking, that's what this feels like. Uh, Dean can also no longer use the terms hummingbird and modern 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 or no it's modern with an e at the end I'm not that smart uh, nor the dove wing headstock shape so they can't use any of that anymore my buddy and I were actually talking about Gibson's recent uh, lawsuit crusade that they got going on the other day and it seems like a new saying is in order anytime something breaks anytime that your guitar is uh Held up in customs for not being true Gibson. Well, should have played authentic. Should have played authentic. God, that's terrible. Inside jokes are only really funny to the people you make them with, right? I don't know. If you guys like it, let me know. (laughs) Um, So what does this hold for the future? I mean, will we see a new era of lawsuit guitars? And of course, you know, lawsuit guitars, it refers mostly to like Japanese, um, namely Ibanez, uh, imports of the 60s and the 70s. These guitars featured the same shapes and designs as popular Fender, Gibson, and Rickenbacker models, uh, with the only cosmetic change being the name. It's not anything close to the Dean situation. Like, Look up Lawsuit Era Ivanez, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Axiom was another brand that did a lot of them. It's literally a Les Paul to a T in terms of the cosmetics, just with a different name on the headstock. Uh, lawsuit guitars you know, the, of the 60s and 70s, they were typically made of, like, somewhat lower quality parts, like you have pot metal alloy hardware, you have lower quality electronics, plywood for bodies and caps, uh, but they were low-cost import to budget musicians at a time where, like, the late 60s and the 70s, the quality of larger name brands began to suffer somewhat and uh, these import guitars were a way to get lower quality, but something that still looked the same. Lawsuit guitars led to the common trope we see now, where it seems that manufacturers are able to copy nearly everything about a guitar's design save for the headstock, Uh, though that may change with Gibson's latest stance and their use of the court to uh, enforce trademarks. Certain lawsuit models from the 70s can go for, like, insane amounts of money on the used market. So I'm wondering if the more recent production years of the affected Dean guitars will, like, skyrocket in value down the road as well. I'm curious to see that. I mean, what do you guys think? you guys think that Dean is going to be the new, like, a Dean V is going to be the new Ibanez uh, Les Paul? What do you think? I'm curious. Are you guys going to go after these now? In more positive news, Walrus Audio has released the Mira compressor. So I'm a huge fan of Walrus Audio. Like, I'm not even gonna lie. I have their stickers over all my guitar cases, all kinds of nonsense. Everything that they put out, uh, it seems to be very durable, really good quality, and it sounds extremely professional. They are a little bit on the, uh, higher price tag side of things, especially considering what we talk about on this show, but I really think they do punch way above their price point in terms of quality. It's worth it what you're paying for a Walrus pedal, in my opinion. Uh, Walrus does already have a compressor in their lineup. It's uh, based on the 1176, and it's called the Deep 6, and it's got three different versions to it. Um, I have the Deep 6 V3 that I use on my metal board, and I absolutely love it. The Mira is a new optical compressor that they're offering. Uh, As far as I know, it's the first optical compressor Walrus has released. It uses an LED that's chained to the input, and as the signal gets louder, the LED brightens, causes an optical cell to clamp down on the amplitude, and it provides the compression set by the controls. So that's essentially how your optocomp is working. Uh, The Mira has the standard controls that you find on most studio-style compressors. You've got threshold, level, attack, release, and ratio, as well as a blend knob to blend between your dry signal and your compressed signal. I've got that on the Deep Six, and it's super useful being to blend in your compressed signal. Like, going from the Deep Six to the Super Comp and not having that blend knob was a big shocker for me. I didn't realize how much it helped. Trust me, try a compressor with a blend knob. You'll love it. Uh, The Mira also features a makeup knob which sounds goofy, but it's actually just a knob that essentially acts as like an output volume uh, because compressors tend to lower the overall volume of a signal when you set them very liberally or very squishy. The Mira has a high-pass filter switch on the side, and that can be applied to the side chain in order to prevent your bass frequencies from triggering the compressor too early. I can see that being extremely valuable with metal players because especially when you're chugging, you tend to get some really loud bass frequencies in there. And that will, that sort of high pass filter to prevent the compressor from engaging on that if you don't want it during your chugs or your palm mutes. I can see that being extremely useful, and I'm really interested in that. The Mira is retailing for $249, and the demos show it can do like light compression for all styles of music, all the way to like extreme squishy goodness for genres like country. So it definitely seems like a very versatile compressor. Lastly in our news is another exciting product release, and it is the Origin Effects Halcyon Green Overdrive. So OriginFX, they're a UK-based company, they're famous for, like, the Revival Drive, um, but this new pedal that they've put out, it's got Green Overdrive in the name, so we all know what this is. It's another Tube Screamer, or, or is it? So the Halcyon Green, on the face of it, is a copy of a TS-808. It is a Tube Screamer, right? It's not some crazy new type of pedal. But it's got a really interesting feature that we'll get to that I think really sets it apart from other offerings. So to start, the pedal has some classic controls that you'd expect on a Tube Screamer-style pedal. You've got level, drive, and tone. An interesting addition is a dry knob. So similar to like the blend knob that we talked about on the Mira, you can blend your dry signal back into your overdriven signal. Uh, It's a concept that we'll explore further when we get to the tone-chasing portion of this episode. Talk about why that's beneficial. In the center of the pedal, there's two toggle switches. One is voice, switching between like a classic 808 voice and a more modern Tube Screamer voicing. Uh, And then the second switch is called Adapt. And this is that feature I was talking about that I think is truly unique. So the ADAPT switch, it changes the EQ curve of the pedal as the pedal cleans up. So when the pedals run extremely dirty, you'll see the regular mid-hump that we're all used to from Tube Screamers. Uh, With the ADAPT switch, when you have it engaged, you can set the pedal to change to a more bass and treble boosted or smiley face-esque EQ. Uh, That type of signal, as the signal running through the pedal gets cleaner, So essentially, when you're running it really dirty, pushing it really hard, you're getting that regular mid-hump that's indicative of a Tube Screamer, but as you clean up your signal, you get to a more bass and treble boosted, kind of like a Fender black panel amp. It's definitely unique. I don't think I've seen it before on any other type of Tube Screamer that I've played, and uh, I think it solves a problem that many people have with Tube Screamers, the boxy sounding mid-range hump when you're playing clean. A lot of people... Tend to switch their tube screamers on and off for that, but this might solve that problem. Now it is Origin Effects, so they definitely uh, have quite the price tag. The Halcyon Green Overdrive is retailing for 300 bucks. So if you want a smart tube screamer to match your smart thermostat, smart doorbell, smart car, pick one up today. Check it out. Let me know how you like it. I'm curious. So the famous gear that we're gonna be going over this week is chorus. So what is chorus? Well, chorus sounds easy enough, to be honest with you. Uh, What is a chorus but a bunch of voices singing the same thing together at once? That's essentially what your guitar effect is doing, right? I mean, chorus as an effect is typically accomplished by multiplying a signal a given number of times and slightly delaying each copy. Most chorus effects will usually use what's called an LFO, or a Low Frequency Oscillator, and that modulates the pitch of the copies slightly, and that generates some movement and adds some lushness to the signal. Chorus is very similar to flanger, and in a more limited way, analog delay, but there's a lack of feedback and a very short delay time on the repeats with a chorus pedal compared to the other two. As with almost any effect now, there are both analog and digital chorus pedals available. Uh, analog pedals typically use BBDs, or bucket brigade devices. Uh, it's a type of chip that's typically found in analog delays, while digital pedals use a chip to create the chorus effect, a computer chip. So let's talk about the history of chorus, right? Where did it come from? The first variations of chorus weren't really chorus as we'd consider them with an effect, but more of the traditional sense of chorus, just Copying a signal. Uh, You start to see uh, Hammond organs. Uh, They in the first half of the 20th century they have the option to duplicate the signal once and place it slightly out of tune and behind the real signal. So that's the beginning of this effect, right? That's setting the stage for it. Uh, Later on in the 60s, studios actually begin to do this. So they take tapes, they copy them, and they play them back over the original tape slightly detuned, and then delayed once again, just a little bit. Uh, The most famous use of this type of chorus, which is referred to as ADT, or automatic double tracking, was used by the Beatles at Abbey Road in 1966. The first iteration of chorus as an actual guitar effect, here's where it gets fun. This was the integrated chorus circuit in the JC-120 amplifier made by Roland, uh, JC standing for Jazz Chorus in 1975. The JC models are still extremely popular solid-state amps today. They're very clean, they make great pla- pedal platforms, so if you're a pedal junkie like me, and you're really only looking for, for one amp that's super reliable and lets your pedals shine, Roland Jazz Chorus is a way to go. Easily. Arguably, the first Chorus Effect pedal was the Boss CE-1, and it was released shortly after that in 1976. The CE-1 was literally the same circuit from the JC-120, ripped out and thrown in a pedal. Uh, 1976, we also see the TC Electronic stereo Chorus Plus. It's a multi-effect that contained a stereo chorus, a flanger, and a vibrato, uh, though the vibrato wasn't under that name. They called it like pitch modulation or something. Uh, after this, we see the Boss CE-2 in 1979, an updated, smaller version of the CE-1, It was a mono-chorus designed specifically for guitarists. It's a really simple two-knob affair. It's still in production today, including with the updated Wazacraft line. That same year, 1979, we see arguably one of the most famous chorus pedals ever released, made popular by one Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, Uh, At that time, it was called the electroharmonics clone theory, or as you can guess, as we've now come to know it, the small clone. The small clone has a single knob for rate, which is the speed at which the copies change pitch, and a slider switch for depth, and it's the amount of detuning in the copies. So, sit with me here, humor me, let's take a look back into history with the electroharmonics big box reissue of the small clone right now put yourself in that headspace it's the 70s Uh, chorus is this brand new wild effect that not a lot of people have heard before so we can pretty much play anything with chorus on it and be famous in this decade right like i love to say it's the 70s people are just doing whatever let's take a listen to the electroharmonic small Clone. So after the Small Clone, we really start to see like a veritable smorgasbord of modern versions of the Chorus Effect that are developed and released by a bunch of different companies. If you're really hungering for Chorus, here's some great examples of modern Chorus pedals that you can get for yourself. So of course you can get that same pedal I just played, the Electro Small Clone, for 107 bucks. Uh, you can also get the Boss CE-2W, that's the Wazicraft version of the CE-2, it's a bright blue pedal uh, from Boss's Compact line, but it's made in Japan and just like all the Wazacraft line, it's got that special slider switch that you have the custom mode on it. Sounds really cool. But once again, you're definitely paying for it. It's 229 bucks. One that I really like, we already talked about Walrus, right? And how much I love them. So of course I gotta plug it a little bit. Uh, the Walrus Audio Julia. It's $199. And it's actually a really feature laden offering. It's got controls for uh, rate, depth, lag, and a knob to blend between dry chorus and vibrato. So it's essentially two pedals in one chorus and vibrato. If you're interested in it, it's got a really unique sound. I absolutely love it. So let's take a listen to the Walrus Audio Julia, see if it's right for you. Another great option for chorus is the tc electronic corona chorus it's 109 bucks it's got four controls for speed depth effects level and tone as well as a tone print functionality so if you're interested in that tone print functionality it's it's super cool you uh you take your phone you download this app and then you hold it near your guitar's pickups and it makes some interference that uh does the setting for you digitally it's super cool um, a very polarizing option is the MXR Analog Chorus at 99 bucks. Now, I personally like it. Uh, some people claim it has tone suck, but I've never noticed it with my rig or anything I've tried it with. It's got controls for level, rate, depth, as well as a two-band high and low EQ. So it's super versatile and super useful. Let's go ahead and take a listen to it so you can see how it sounds. And once again, this is the MXR Analog Chorus, and it's the most wallet-friendly option on this list that I recommend. So now that we've hung out and you're all chorus experts, Let's chase our famous tone for this week, and that's Johnny Stevens from Highly Suspect on the song Lydia. A little bit of history about the band. Uh, Highly Suspect started out as most bands do. uh, It was in 2009 they began playing covers at local bars and uh, different taverns in the Cape Cod area, as well as playing as supporting acts for local shows when bands like Ten Years and Seven Dust came to town. The band released four EPs after beginning to create their own original music in mid-2009 was their first one, all the way until 2011 when they released their first album, which was a compendium of self-titled work from the EPs beforehand. The band toured throughout 2015 with the Deftones, Chevelle, and Hailstorm, and their first studio album that they released was called Mr. Asylum, and it was done in July of 2015, This album contained the song we're going to be talking about today, Lydia. Uh, The album was nominated for the Best Rock Album, and Lydia was nominated for the Best Rock Song at the 58th Grammys. Neither of them won, but it's crazy that just six years after becoming a band, especially in today's day and age, they were nominated at the Grammys for two separate things. Absolutely awesome. Uh, the band released their second studio album, The Boy Who Died Wolf, in 2016, and then their most recent album, MCID, which is an acronym for My Crew is Dope, in November of 2018. Uh, one quick note about this. When I'm researching the gear for these tone-chasing escapades that we go on together, uh, I'm usually using a few different sources like a clipboard, rig rundown videos, and uh, just pictures on the internet from shows they do have a rig rundown with premier Guitar for Highly Suspect. Uh, this video is completely in-depth and in detail if you want to know about their bassist. I mean, this video is like 24 minutes long, and 21 of those minutes are about the bassist. Only three of them are about Johnny Stevens' guitar rig. So this is mostly done through that and then pictures and a board. Without further ado, getting in his guitars... Johnny actually uses a custom-built guitar that's made by the band's bass player. Uh, if you look at the rig rundown video, you'll see uh, the bass player actually made his own instrument as well. But the guitar is very similar to the HSS Stratocasters he'd used before that, so that's what we're going to kind of be modeling this choice off of. First recommendation is the Squire Classic Vibe 70s HSS Strat for 419 bucks one short of the uh of the drug number. Uh second recommendation is the Yamaha Pacifica 112V. It's 309 bucks. And the third recommendation, little unorthodox for this show, but we're going to roll with it, is the Squire Classic Vibe Jaguar. It's 450 bucks. And I get it, it's not a humbucker uh humbucker blessed guitar. However, it just seems to work for this, so that's why I chose it. It works better than the uh, HSS Strat that I was going to use, so we're rolling with it, right? In terms of amps, Johnny Stevens actually runs two amps simultaneously. He runs a Supro uh, Thunderbolt, it's an S6420, and a Fender Hot Rod Deluxe 3. So for the Supro, we're actually going to be using the JHS Superbolt. Now, most people looking at this pedal, they wouldn't consider this an amp in a box just by the face of it. I mean, it's only got three knobs and a switch, but the Supro, the amp that it's modeling actually only had two controls on it, Uh, just had a volume and a tone, and the Superbolt does an excellent job of emulating the Supro Crunch with the same two controls, as well as that drive knob and an extra gain switch. It's $199, it's absolutely awesome, and I love it. For the Fender side of the house, we're going to be using the Fender Mustang GTX-50, and because there's no Hot Rod Deluxe on there, we're going to be emulating a Blues Junior. It's easy enough, this amp goes for $349, and it has a ton of modeling and onboard effects, but it really shines when it's emulating Fender's own in-house models of amps. So first what we're going to do, we're going to play our Jaguar with our uh, Supro simulator, the JHS Superbolt. And then I'm going to play it with the uh, Mustang GTX emulating the uh, Blues Junior. And then we're going to combine them together so you can see how it sounds. First up, here's the Super Bowl. Next up, here's the Mustang GTX emulating a Blues Junior. So one important thing to note before we combine them and hear the sonic goodness that is, is Uh, Sending a throwback to what I was talking about earlier in terms of blending your clean signal back in, you can hear how the Supro has a lot more drive behind it than the Fender, and that's definitely on purpose. If you have an amp that's got most of your distortion, your audience is still getting the impression of that distortion, of that massive sound, but your majority clean amp... Is actually able to provide a lot more clarity for your notes. And that way, people aren't missing anything, the structure is there, it doesn't sound like your tone's falling apart. Now that we've got the nerdiness out of the way, what you've all been waiting for, let's run both of these amps together and see what it sounds like. <laughs> So we've talked about our amps. Now let's get into the fun part—the pedals. Uh, one of the things that Johnny Stevens has used throughout his entire career is the Boss BD2 Blues Driver. Now this pedal is already sort of on the lower end of the price spectrum in the first place. It's 119 bucks. There's not a lot of substitutions here, but uh, if you're not sold on the Blues Driver, you're not sure if you're gonna like it. You want to go with something a little more wallet friendly check out the TC Electronics Cinders for 49 bucks. It's supposed to be a Blues Driver clone. I haven't played it personally, but listening to the demos, it sounds close enough for government work, right? So definitely give the Cinders a try if you're looking for that. However, let's take a listen to what the Blues Driver sounds like pushing the front of our two amps together. <laughs> Now, uh, f- another pedal that Johnny Stevens uses very often is the Keeley DNM drive. It's a combo pedal that's an overdrive and a boost in one, and it retails for 229 bucks. For the purposes of this demo, if you're approaching it the same way that I am, uh, I'm using the gain from the JHS Super Bowl, and it does a great job of hitting that drive that Johnny Stevens is using the DNM for. It does it just right. But... If you want a boost or a Tube Screamer for what you're using, check out the Earthquaker device's plumes. It's 99 bucks and it's a great Tube Screamer. One of the toggle modes is an almost transparent, clean boost that you can turn on in place of the Tube Screamer. So you can't do them both at once, like the d drive, but you've got both in the box should you need it. For Johnny Stevens' Solo Tones, he uses the Keeley Caverns. It's $199, bucks. And the Caverns is a digital tape delay and reverb simulator that Johnny uses the delay on for his solos. Uh, Since tape delay is analog and it sees some warble, we're going to be using the MXR Carbon copy at $149, with a slight bit of modulation added into it. It's not a tape delay, uh, but it's rather a Bucket Brigade device analog delay. However, it's an analog delay. It'll get us the right amount of degradation we need just for the solo tone. So let's give a listen to the sound of our two amps, our blues driver, and kicking on our carbon copy for a solo tone. Uh, There is a slight smattering of reverb on all of that and it's from the onboard reverb by the Fender amp. It's the same way Johnny's getting his, so if you're using an actual Fender amp or if you're using the GTX, you're just going to want to set the amp reverb to about 7. Now that we've gotten through our tone chasing for this episode, let's talk about where our tone comes from. So, you know, one of the big sections that we do every episode is tone chasing, but where's the majority of it from? If you are constrained by a pretty tight budget what should you aim for to get the closest? Now, the where does your tone come from argument, it's an argument that's nearly as old as guitars themselves. Uh, there's many different people that claim that your tone comes from your guitar, the wood it's made of, your pickups, your amps, your pedals, or even simply your fingers. The, the fingers argument, that's a more loaded argument that we'll get to. Now, I know that I'm not going to put an end to this argument with a short section of a podcast, but I thought we'd sit down together this week and we would conduct some actual tests to sound scientific to really see what makes a difference. Uh, I've got a pretty big selection of gear here, so I feel like we're fitted enough to get into this together, at least in a, in a limited way. So first, let's talk about the guitars themselves. Uh, Many people argue that the wood that your guitar is made of will drastically affect your guitar tone. For some background on this, uh, I actually did a paper for a physics class that explored this concept, and what I found through research was that uh, each specific type of wood has an inseparable trait called the bulk modulus. Uh, The bulk modulus is similar to the density, but not exactly the same, and the bulk modulus will actually affect the resonant frequency of the body, which, I mean, mathematically, we can prove that it will have some impact on tone, but the question is, how negligible is it? Like, mathematically, we can, uh, we can prove that we're affected by the gravity of Jupiter, but in everyday life, it doesn't affect us, right? So, unfortunately, I don't have two guitars that are exactly the same, save for the type of wood. Uh, however, Glenn Fricker from SMG Studios. He's a great YouTuber and he does an awesome video exploring this with two Harley Benton guitars set up exactly this way. They have the same pickups, the same cut of wood, very similar weight. The only difference is that they're made of two different types of wood. Uh, It's a great video to watch to really test to see if you can hear it. Uh, Definitely use some high quality headphones when you're doing it. Don't set yourself up for failure. He starts by telling you when the guitars are switching back and forth, and then he plays them alone without telling you when they're switching, and then he plays them in a full mix without denoting the switch. I'll be completely honest with you, I genuinely can't hear a difference when they're in a full mix. Uh, It may make a difference playing alone, but I don't personally see tone wood being a huge contributing factor to tone in the mix. And that may get me crucified by the online guitar community, but it's okay. I said it. So next, let's talk about the pickups. Now, this is a test that we are equipped to perform. Now, I think pickups genuinely do make a tangible difference in the overall tone of your rig. Uh, In this case, I've got two Schecter C1 model guitars with drastically different pickups. I tried to pick the uh, most different pickups I could. Uh, One set is the Seymour Duncan Mayhem set, it's a ceramic magnet passive humbuckers, and the other set is the very classic EMG-8185 active humbucker pairing. In the following demo, you'll hear the two guitars each played clean first and then distorted. So let's start with the C1 that has the Mayhem set using the bridge pickup. So now that you've got that in your head, let's take a look at the EMG-81. So I don't know about you, but I definitely heard a difference there. I mean, the active pickups, especially when played clean, I always thought they sounded more bright. Um, The word that always comes to mind for me is more airy in terms of active pickups played clean. And then, of course, the distortion, the EMG 81 had a lot more distortion, a lot more breakup. But that's what active pickups are designed to do. There's definitely a tangible difference in your pickups. However, I don't believe that pickups are what affects your tone the most. I think it's the amplifier, and we're going to get into that. So this next component is what, in my personal opinion, provides the bulk of the difference of your tone. It's the amp. Uh, There's a few different things that go into amp tone, though, right? You've got tube versus solid state. You've got voicing. You've got tube choice, if that's applicable to you, uh, not to mention speaker cabinets. So to demonstrate this, we're going to go back to using the Schecter C1 with the EMGs, Mostly because I absolutely love that guitar, and I don't get to use my uh, metal guitars enough on the show. But I'm going to first play through an American-voiced amp. It's the PRS-MT15. It's Mark Tremonti's signature amplifier. It's supposed to be emulating sort of like a Mesa boogie tone. And then from there, we'll switch over to an Orange CR120. It's a distinctly British amp. Uh, Once again, we'll play both of them clean and distorted. So here we have the active Schechter going through the MT15. So with the MT-15, you'll notice once we listen to the orange in comparison, the sound's a lot brighter, it's got a lot more attack, and a lot more tightness in the bottom end. Now let's give a listen to the orange, and if you know what I mean when I say distinctly British amplifier, you're going to know what to expect here. Without further ado, here is the voice of the world, as they call themselves. So the orange, it's definitely, it's got a lot more low end, it's going to be a lot more chuggy, and it's going to have a lot looser and full sounding bottom end to it. And I'm sure you could hear that from the demo. There's a lot more difference, in my opinion, between amplifiers than there are between pickups. And uh, I'm sure you can definitely tell a much larger difference between amps and uh, tonewoods if you watch Glenn Fricker's video, if you decide to go check that out. So when it comes to talking about pedals, um, they undoubtedly have a large effect on your tone. I mean, I feel like uh, this sort of argument is an absolute no-brainer, saying that, oh, well, pedals affect your tone the most. Like, of course they do. You know, however, different types of the same circuit, they can have unique differences, just to play the devil's advocate here. So for example. If you use a TS-808 for an overdrive versus a Boss SD-1, they might sound different. That might affect your tone, the difference between those two. Um, I really don't like the whole argument of, oh, the pedals are the biggest thing to your tone because it it seems to be somewhat of like a cop-out to this whole argument. Like, of course, adding something at the front of your signal chain is going to have an effect on the tone. That's like saying, oh, well, the best thing you can do when cooking is add spices. Like, that's page one of any cookbook. Nobody wants unseasoned chicken. The last component of this age-old argument is that the tone is in the fingers. Now, this may seem like a strange concept, right? But we're not actually referring to the physical makeup of your fingers themselves, whether they're calloused or soft, meaty or thin. We're more referring here to the style you personally have as a guitar player. So whether you've noticed it or not, you do have your own style. The way that you accomplish bar chords, hammer-ons and pull-offs, or vibrato is all unique to you. What people are referring to when they make this argument isn't as much so the frequency or tonal response of your sound, it's more the dynamics of your playing, such as pick attack and movement. In that case, I definitely agree, it makes a difference with your overall sound. Like, just look at uh, videos of people like Kirk Hammett sitting down and playing at Guitar Center, Jim Root doing the demos for Fender. They both still feel like it's their own music because of how they play. Once again, not so much the frequency response of your rig, but more just the feel of your music, the style of it. Now, as with any argument, there's always outliers, and there are scattered people lurking in the deep, dark corners of internet forums, I'm looking at you, the gear page, uh, who can claim that they hear the difference between uh, gold-tipped cables, pick thickness, or even guitar finishes, regardless of what someone else is playing through. Please don't feel the need to spend hundreds of dollars on gold tip patch cables because some random person on the internet says, oh, but the tone, it's snake oil and it's not worth it. But once again, I mean, what do I know? I'm just another random person on the internet, right? Uh, Do, however, make sure that you buy quality equipment. And I cannot stress this enough. You don't need gold tip patch cables, but that doesn't mean buy the cheapest patch cables you can find. Poor quality cables will introduce unneeded noise and hum into your rig. Poor quality picks will wear quicker and they'll become uncomfortable. And poor quality finishes on guitars will degrade quickly and they'll trap moisture in the wood. That's all things that contribute to the longevity of your gear and the fidelity of your tone. So I'm not saying that it's not important to buy quality accessories, I guess if you want to call them that. Um, But they're not going to affect your tone more than, say, your amp, your pickups, things like that. To wrap up our show, we're going to get into our music fact of the week. If you like guitars so much, why don't you marry them? It sounds like something that a bully would have told me if I was cool enough to like guitars when I was in, like, elementary school. Fortunately, it wasn't. It wasn't cool at all. Still not cool, but it's okay. So a British musician by the name of Chris Black has a Fender Strat that is aptly named Brenda the Fender, who he proudly calls his wife. He married uh, Brenda in 2001 after he claims they dated for a whopping 35 years. That was longer than my wife and I knew each other before we got married. Uh, Thankfully, he wasn't actually serious about it, as he claims it was merely a joke and he's happily married to an actual human being. But once again, that kind of sounds like a cop-out because he held a full ceremony and everything in a London church. Like That's got to be expensive. It's, uh, it's definitely a new way to show dedication to the instrument. But, uh, but you decide. Is it, a, is it a fun joke or is it a weird new version of polyamory? I don't know. If you want to let me know what you think, you can reach out over Facebook or Reddit or you can email me at pedalsandpickups at gmail.com to suggest topics or just chat about gear or talk about which guitar you want to marry and why. Yeah, I, I I don't know why you'd want to do that. Please don't. I, I will be so disappointed. However, I'm happy to provide advice. I'm happy to really just sit there and chat. Like, this is all I do. My only real hobby is guitar stuff. So please hit me up. Let's talk about gear. I'd love to talk about it with you off the show. If you like the show and you want to see it continue, please support the show on Patreon. Every dollar goes right back into the podcast for hosting fees, gear, and equipment to make the show. It's been a great week hanging out with you guys. I'm glad that we got back in the saddle and we did this, even though I'm a little bit under the weather. But it's okay. I love hanging out, right? Sick days off of work are the best, especially because you get to stay home and play guitar longer, right? Absolutely bonkers. But... I'll see you guys in a little bit shorter than a week, since I was kind of late on this episode, and we'll talk about some more exciting stuff then. Take care.